Welcome to the Twin Cities Apologetics Podcast. I, my name is Jeremy Lin, and I am live from the studio of OAC Technology. Uh, this is the, f- the first podcast uh, for our group. And for those who don't know what Twin Cities Apologetics is, it's, it's a group located in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, so Minneapolis and St. Paul, uh, who ha- has a goal of equipping Christians to address the skeptical ideas around them. Now we're working on a mission statement that will narrow down that focus a little more than where it's at, but that's the general idea that we're looking at, the, the skeptical kinds of ideas that people have regarding Christianity and, and faith and, and other similar topics, uh, and asking how do we ad- address these in conversations with others. And that uh, very much applies to something that happened uh, last week. I had a, a debate with an atheist, which is the first time I, I did something like that. And uh, it was a nerve-wracking thing uh, going into it, uh, being the first time uh, of doing something um, such as that. But uh, it was an opportunity to really um, uh, have a solid and, and deep conversation with someone who had different views uh, from me in an environment where other people can listen in and uh, appreciate the conversation and, and hopefully take something from it. I want to share a little uh, backstory of how this whole debate came about and then share some uh, reflections on it, especially uh, helping people to, to understand how to talk about miracles uh, with their skeptical friends. So first, uh, some backstory. Uh, Tom is the, the name of uh, the atheist who I debated. Uh, he reached out to me a, a few months ago because he saw the Twin Cities Apologetics group on Meetup. Uh, at one point, I just threw it out on there just to see what would happen. Maybe someone would see it through that. It uh, turns out, uh, because it's on Meetup, when you search Apologetics Minnesota or something similar on Google, that that Meetup group is something that comes up right away. So however Tom found us, uh, he saw that there's now an apologetics group in the Twin Cities as of January, because that's when we started up. So he reached out to me and said that he wants to start talking with Christians, uh, basically having debates about what Christians believe and if it's reasonable to to be a Christian or to believe in God uh, and, and those different kinds of questions. So we agreed to, to meet up and talk about that, just evidence for God's existence and possibly talk about having, having debates about those types of things in the future. So we met up and specifically talked about the resurrection of Jesus. That is a topic I have personally studied for, for years. Uh, historical types of considerations, uh, how do we know this actually happened? And for me, it's important because the resurrection is really the foundation of Christianity. Without the resurrection, Christianity is no longer Christianity. The entire uh, uh, worldview hinges on this one event, which people who wrote the Bible claim actually happened in history. So that's uh, why that topic has been my focus. But we had our, our conversation and then agreed to continue it 
through a, a YouTube hangout session. Um, and that's exactly what happened uh, just a week ago. So uh, in that discussion, we continued talking about the resurrection of Jesus. As, as that conversation went on, I realized that uh, with all of the historical information that I looked at in the past, uh, no amount of that type of evidence was going to convince Tom that the resurrection happened or that it's reasonable to think that happened. Now, it's kind of crazy thinking about that, that let's say there were 5,000 sources for uh, Jesus and the, the claims that Christians make about him, that he died, that people saw him, uh, and that the disciples died for what they believed. If we had all these sources on that, it would still be unreasonable on Tom's view to think that the resurrection occurred. But the reason for that is that Tom requires an empirical basis uh, in order to show that something like resurrections can occur before he, be he can believe that something like a resurrection actually did occur. So he says that since there's not an empirical basis behind resurrections in general, there's no way that he can believe an actual res resurrection happened. And by empirical, by the way, I mean uh, things that can be observed using the five senses and probably things that are repeatable using that process, using our senses, sight, touch, all those things to, to observe the world around us. Uh, in order to talk about Jesus' resurrection and if it actually happened, we were going to actually have to step back a little bit from the evidence and move towards uh, another kind of discussion. And that's the discussion about miracles and if something like a miracle can happen. Because if miracles cannot occur, if it's always reasonable to think that miracles don't happen, then it's also uh, not reasonable to think that a resurrection happened, again, on Tom's view. So after talking with him about, about the resurrection and seeing the skepticism in place, uh, I realized that our discussion would have to shift towards miracles. Uh, so before I get into that content and what we actually talked about, I want to talk about my personal experience uh, with the debates and kind of the, the aftermath of it. Um, I already shared that I was nervous going into it and for a couple days uh, I was thinking about it pretty, pretty constantly. And uh, one reason is uh, I can be sort of a, a perfectionist in, in the things I say. Uh, like if I say something or speak at an event, let's say, I'll think about it afterward and look back to that event and, and what I said and question, oh, did I say this thing in the right way or could I put, have put this better? Uh, and really, when it came to the, the debate, I was just thinking and hoping that uh, I wouldn't just fade out or I wouldn't, my mind wouldn't blank out and I would suddenly have nothing to say. Uh, that was the, the one moment that I was hoping uh, wouldn't happen and maybe that I had anxiety about. Uh, I did definitely pray about it a bunch and, and try to give that worry to the Lord, but still came up from, from time to time. So after the, the discussion, uh, I went to uh, a quarry, a, a fun event, and uh, 
it was hard to have fun right away because I was uh, doing that reflection process, that post-discussion process of thinking about what I said and if it was the right thing, if I could have done it better. Uh, but after a while of being at the quarry and uh, just having spending time with people, uh, I did end up having fun there. But it was just hard to make that transition that day. And in the, the, the few days following, I would say that uh, things were pretty hard for me from a spiritual standpoint. Uh, just thinking about the, the ideas that were brought up uh, regarding miracles and their possibility. And I think when you get in these kind of discussions about faith and someone's coming from a totally opposite end, there can be moments where you have these questions of, oh, is everything I, I believe wrong? Or those kinds of uh, extreme types of thoughts that, that you've been in in the wrong or some delusion this whole time. And I wouldn't say something quite like that happened, but I did have uh, some different deep thoughts about, well, is this reasonable, like what he said? Or uh, you know, was I able to say something that, that would be convincing to someone? Uh, so in, in the process of thinking about those things, I think connecting with God was, uh, was difficult in those few days. In light of that, uh, kind of knowing that now, going into a, a debate, uh, I think I, uh, I would not want to have debates very often. Uh, every once in a while would be fine, but I know at least the potential of them being, being taxing on me uh, from a spiritual standpoint, uh, and that may be because I tend to avoid conflict. It's hard for me to disagree with someone. Um, but also, you know, during that time, I want to be in prayer and in the aftermath as well as giving that whole process to God, giving him the results of that. Because I don't know who's listening. I don't know what they're thinking about it. But that's not for me to, to determine or manipulate how someone is listening and, and thinking about the conversation. So now I want to turn to the, the actual content of the discussion and really make it uh, practical. I want to talk about how to talk about miracles with a skeptic. And this might come up in, in a conversation you have with someone where the topic comes up, uh, someone thinks only natural things can occur, that there is no potential for supernatural events to happen. And that might lead into this conversation about miracles. Do they happen today? Is there any way we can verify that something like that occurs. So I want to run through a few steps to take in conversation with a skeptic about miracles, about uh, basically the order, how to go about that conversation with them. So uh, step one in, in that process, uh, once you're in that kind of conversation, uh, step one is to define what you're talking about. Define exactly what a miracle is. Uh, and this is really true for any topic. You can't get in an in-depth discussion about something where, when you, when you don't understand uh, what both people are, are talking about. Um, so in the case of a miracle, if you don't understand what another person's definition of miracle is or how, what, how they're understanding miracles and their perspective on that, then it's really gonna be hard to connect in a conversation about miracles. 
In the case of my conversation with Tom, I asked Tom for his definition of miracles at one point after he asked for mine. Uh, but Tom said he didn't have a definition, which I was confused by for a second because I was thinking, well, if you don't have a definition, how, how can we have this conversation? How can we know what we're talking about? I mean, for all we know, miracles could be a watermelon. Uh, we have to have some sort of sense of, of what, what we're talking about in order to have this discussion. But then Tom moved to saying that uh, what he is talking about when it comes to miracles is my definition. He says, my definition of miracles, which is, uh, involves a basically breaking into or alteration of what we understand to be natural laws by a supernatural force. So Tom's saying that definition to him, there's no uh, reason to think that those types of things happen. He's not convinced uh, that's, that miracles in that sense occur. So he's not making, let's say, a, a positive definition and saying like this happens or doesn't happen. He's just saying, or he basically rejects uh, my definition of a miracle that those kind of events happen. Um, so uh, I did at least understand where Tom was coming from at that point. And you can talk about how that's fair or unfair. I wasn't really in a spot where I wanted to do that. Uh, I was just glad to come to a better understanding of how Tom talks about miracles uh, with other people. That like he looks to uh, the definition that someone has towards miracles and asks, is it reasonable to think that those happen? Step two in conversations with skeptics about miracles is to understand the burden of proof required by the skeptic. Uh, and what I mean by burden of proof is what level of evidence would be needed in order to convince someone that these miraculous events could have happened or even did happen. Uh, what level would uh, be needed for that consideration to even happen? Uh, and the, the point of doing this is that it, it may be pointless to present testimony or other types of evidence for miracles if that evidence is not going to be accepted by the skeptic because let's say they have this high bar of evidence, this high burden of proof. Uh, so in my conversation with Tom, I asked Tom questions about the burden of proof and his understanding of where that's at for him. What would convince him that a miracle possibly had occurred. Uh, he said that he would need a, a group of scientists who are impartial, watching what's going on as the miracle is happening. So if they're watching this, the, the before health effects or the health condition, and then whatever happens in, in the miraculous events, and then check out the patient's condition in the aftermath, and uh, basically compare the two, is it reasonable to think that a natural event caused this? And the reason he wants that kind of team in place is that he thinks uh, it's possible that, let's say there's just, just a doctor there. The doctor could have a misunderstanding about what's going on, or he could uh, be basically lying or uh, like misconstruing what is going on in that situation. 
Um, so uh, again, Tom would want that impartial team of scientists, and then he would want whatever happens as they're observing the, the miracle events, he'd want that event to be repeated under similar impartial conditions with similar results. Uh, and this is basically, uh, you could say, a, a strict kind of scientific process. Uh, and maybe could describe a, the way that we discover uh, natural laws. Um, I, in turn, made the point that a miracle can't um, reach that burn of proof. The type of thing that Tom wants for evidence um, is not the type of thing that miracles can provide because miracles aren't, by my definition and pretty much all definitions of miracle, they aren't this repeatable events that occurs in the natural order which we can, can observe like we do other natural laws. By definition, by my definition anyway, uh, a miracle is a break in those natural laws. So our discovery of a miraculous, a miraculous events is going to be different than the process of discovering a, a natural event or a natural law. So uh, basically, in summary, uh, Tom is setting potentially this high uh, standard of proof for miracles. And that brings me to my next step in discussion with skeptics about miracles. So step number three is to assess if their burden of proof is reasonable. And this could be really the, the crux of a discussion uh, with a skeptic about miracles. If someone's expectation for a miracle goes beyond what is reasonable, then, then further discussion about evidence, as I pointed out earlier, is is, is pointless. Uh, it, it would be nearly impossible to convince the skeptic of a miracle through evidence alone if there is that high burden of proof, uh, or basically in, uh, in a burden of proof impossible to attain. It's kind of strange that uh, skeptics often set up this high standard since they, they often in, uh, encourage people to provide evidence for a particular view. And a lot of time, the, the Christian or theist uh, is willing to provide evidence, what, uh, say, for the existence of God, whether it's philosophical evidence, uh, scientific evidence, historical evidence. But uh, in some cases, skeptics set this high burden of proof for something like the existence of God, where those evidences can't even be considered from their standpoints. Uh, and, I, and I question just the, the elimination of, uh, of a significant amount of evidence in that sense, and if, if that's really a proper thing in our inquiry of, of what truth is and what is true about the world. Uh, Tom's expectation of a miracle really surprised me. Like, I never heard that type of demand before, that a team of, of scientists would be needed to, to sit there observing of a patient and what's going on, say, in, in, in an emergency room to see if something like a miracle is, is happening. Uh, I, I made the point that it seems unfair to uh, expect that sort of thing to happen in the case of a miracle because a lot of times with miracles you have someone who is rushed to the emergency room and then something crazy happens 
in, in the emergency room. And you don't have time to set up a, a research grant and find a team of scientists who are going to be in the emergency room to see what's happening and then just to, to show the results later on. That's it's really not a, a fair kind of setup for a, a lot of these miracle claims. Uh, so uh, that, to me, the, the, the burden of proof set up for miracles was not reasonable uh, from Tom, Tom's perspective or the, the, the claim that Tom made that we need this kind of uh, evidence for the existence of miracles to prove that they happen. Uh, it's, it just didn't really go through to me. I, I didn't see how that was a fair standard to, to set in place. Uh, step four in talking with skeptics about miracles is to provide case examples that may satisfy the burden of proof that's, that they give. So once we've established the criteria needed for evidence for a miracle, uh, we can start looking at the evidence itself and maybe consider different uh, testimonies, for example, that, that fit the criteria that, that someone gives. Um, for, for miracles that would make them think that maybe something like a miracle happened here. Uh, for miracles, much of that comes from eyewitness testimony because that's what we have for these one-off events. Uh, and that's really what miracles are, these kind of one-off extraordinary events that happen in the course of history. So our consideration of, of miracles is pretty similar to our consideration of historical events. Uh, is there eyewitness testimony of what happened? Are there things we can uh, that that are uh, verifi verifiable by a third party? Uh, let's say in ancient history, there's um, a description of of something like uh, a shoe on the ground, and we find that shoe later on through archaeology, uh, something like that. Uh, third party verification. So there's different types of evidences that uh, that are can be shown uh, in the case of a miracle claim. So one way to approach presenting evidence for a miracle is to give a case example for a miracle and ask the skeptic how he would explain that example. Uh, so in my conversation with, with Tom, he di we didn't get to specific examples for miracles because we were very focused on those questions of what is the burden of proof for a miracle and, and establishing that. Uh, and our conversation was also just in the course of an hour, so we didn't have a lot of time to expand on, say, specific cases. I also didn't have specific cases prepared because I did not expect to talk about miracles in the course of a conversation about the resurrection of Jesus. So that's something that I would change in retrospect. I would want to find specific examples of miracles and discuss them uh, with Tom or, or with a, a skeptic. Uh, there are a few resources that we can look at to, to get examples of miracles. Uh, one is the book Miracles by Craig Keener. And this is a work that came out a few years ago that is extensive. It's uh, well, the one I have is a 700-page book, all filled with examples of miracle claims around the world. Uh, from what I understand, there's a volume two as well, so that's another 700 pages or so. And it's crazy because you, you, you read all these crazy events happening, and it almost gets repetitive just because of how many examples 
a miracle as they are. Um, so, if anything, that book really shows just the breadth of miracle claims that are out there in the world, and that uh, perhaps miracles are a more common experience than than what we think here in America or what we experience in uh, our world. So, uh, another resource that we can go to is The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. And this is something that just came out two or three months ago. <clears throat> Lee Strobel is the author of The Case for Christ, which is an introductory apologetics book, which gets into the history of Jesus and, uh, and different questions about him, like did he live, was he God, uh, did he rise from the dead. And Strobel has now come out with this book about miracles, which gets into the basics of, uh, of miracles and, and how we can verify that they, they still occur today. So he interviews Keener in that and then uh, a few other, other people as well. I'm starting to read through that personally, and uh, so far I recommend it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very entertaining read along with informative uh, right now, I, I don't know about, I am not aware of a, a book that has uh, examples or, say, visual uh, evidences of x-rays uh, showing the condition of a patient before a miraculous event or a miraculous claim and the, an x-ray showing the condition after the, the miraculous claim. I think that would be a helpful resource to have for skeptics who want to actually see uh, the results of, um, of, let's say, a miracle and not just hear a story about it. And that's something that I would like, just with my skeptical mind as well, um, and something that I have sought out before, but it's not something that uh, I've looked into heavily. So this, this whole topic of miracles in general is something that I want to start exploring more and just to look to these different cases that are out there and ask, uh, is what described, or is what's described in the miracle claim, uh, does it seem like those things actually happened? And then ask the question, uh, is there a natural explanation that can be used to explain those events, or does it seem like something else is going on? And that's the very question we ask with Jesus' resurrection we have these different events of Jesus' life, his life and, and death and appearances uh, by, for, from his followers or to his followers. And we can ask the question, is there a natural explanation that fits all that data? Or does it seem like there's something else going on there? Uh, is it possible that as the, the Jewish text or the Old Testament, uh, prophesied, and as Jesus predicted, uh, that God would raise Jesus from the dead. Is it possible something like that happened? Uh, step five in this uh, discussion with skeptics about miracles is don't expect that evidence alone will convince a skeptic. So even if a skeptic uh, requests a, a certain type of evidence, a certain burden of proof, uh, needed to show to him that miracles can occur or, or possibly did occur. Uh, even if that type of evidence is established and you provide that type of evidence to the skeptic, that doesn't mean 
that skeptic is suddenly going to change his mind right there on the spot. Uh, there may be something else holding the skeptic back from, from believing that miracles occur today. Uh, there, actually, there probably is. I mean, if someone has uh, a naturalistic kind of bias, thinking only natural processes uh, are present in the world. There is nothing outside of that. It's going to be hard for that person to accept the fact that something supernatural, something outside of nature, has come in and altered the system. Uh, and emotional factors can come into play too, just like in other intellectual topics. Uh, the problem of evil is, is a big one, where uh, someone has a, an emotional basis to, to bring up uh, the, the problem of evil and the objection uh, towards God or against God because of the ex existence of evil. Uh, in the same way, emotional factors can play into this topic of miracles and in, some, in, in someone accepting them or not. So uh, one thing I want to point out is, is to remember that God is ultimately the one to change someone's mind and heart, especially regarding spiritual matters and, and topics like this, like miracles, something that is beyond what we experience uh, in, in our uh, everyday experience or in nature. Uh, we have a role to play in, uh, let's say, someone changing uh, their view or someone coming closer to, to Christ and, and to truth that way. But we're not uh, convincing a skeptic alone by our own power uh, just through the evidence, necessarily. Uh, evidence can help someone in, in the process of coming to belief in, in God and eventually in Jesus, uh, but it's not necessarily the only thing and it's not by our own efforts that someone ends up going in that direction. Uh, a lot of times there's other people involved and definitely God has a very important role to play in that. So those are our five steps uh, in having conversations with skeptics about miracles. Again, recapping, define what we're talking about, uh, define what a miracle is, understand the burden of proof that's required by the skeptic. Assess if the burden of proof is reasonable. Provide case examples that may satisfy that burden of proof. And then don't expect that evidence alone will convince the skeptic. God uh, has his own work in that process. So I hope these were helpful, these steps in, in your future conversation with skeptics, especially regarding this topic about miracles. I know for me, uh, it's, some, it's something that I can grow in in this kind of conversation, uh, especially in, in the case of this debate, as I, I didn't even expect to, to have that kind of discussion, focusing on miracles rather than, say, historical evidence for the resurrection. So this is a, a growing process for me as well, and something that, again, I'd like to focus on in my future study of, of apologetics and consideration of what is true about the world. So this has been the Twin Cities Apologetics Podcast, our, our first podcast ever, and we're expecting to have more of these in the future, 
we have a few guests that are uh, in line uh, to talk about some very important topics. Uh, one of which is to see God's work in the world. And, uh, you know, basically, is it true that God is working in our present uh, circumstances? Uh, another one is just what kind of skeptical ideas are present in our academic environments. So we have a lot of exciting topics coming up in our podcast, and we'll have guests coming on from time to time as well. If you want to check out our group, Twin Cities Apologetics, you can go to Facebook and just search that up, as is Twin Cities Apologetics, or go to Instagram and do the same thing. Our Facebook group is focused on meetings, which we have every other Wednesday, and Instagram is focused on content, on sharing visual content that you can just take in and maybe just get something from it uh, during the day. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and, and we'll see you next time.